0: Hey, um, one of the things I just wanted to call your attention to, which I think is kind of special, is that um, six years ago, 2013, on August 4th, was our first Sunday in this building. And so this is an anniversary of sorts, you know, so uh, I, um, I feel like that's one of the the great things that God provided for us here in over the 35 years is being able to be in this historic building and uh, believe it's a, a place of, of destiny and significance here in our city. So how many of you uh, were attending August 4th, 19, 2013 back in back around that time? That's great. Thank you guys, especially, you know, for your Um, serving and your giving and participating in church life so that we could uh, step into this place. So that's amazing. Uh, Before I get into my message today, I want to ask you to join me in prayer. And what I'd like to pray for is um, those impacted by the tragedies that took place yesterday in El Paso, Texas, and then um, later in the day last night um, in Dayton, Ohio. And, um, you know, when things like this happen, I'm just uh, um, shocked at the hate and violence or the brokenness in someone's soul that that's what the outlet is or that's what the result is. And and um, I, I guess it's a combination of things. It's you never really clear to put your finger on it, but just why it produces so much hurt and pain and, and, and difficulty for others. But, um, and I do wanna say I had read just after this first service that there was some kind of manifesto of the guy in El Paso talking about um, Latinos and some, they're suspect that this was his and some strange motivation, but um, I just want to say the pastor here, um, Oasis Church, Philip and Holly Wagner, we love Latino people. Latino people are valued and honored and needed and so when all of the race conversation is going on um, you are uh, just as significant as all, but but maybe you could stand with me and we'll just pray quickly over this. Sometimes I say my, uh, my thoughts and prayers go out to you, but then I just would rather pray. <laughs> Father, we come to you in a tremendously difficult time and painful beyond measure to so many people. And I think it pains us all as humanity, as Americans, to see uh, the hurts and wounds. And we pray for those who were wounded in these events yesterday. And I pray that you would bring healing, help them recover quickly. Let it be a miraculous touch of heaven. And I pray not only would they heal physically, but the emotional trauma of that kind of attack. And I pray for Friends, family members, loved ones who lost someone to a senseless murder yesterday, and I pray God that you would comfort them and and help them grieve and help them go through the healing process. And I pray for pastors and churches and believers in those cities in those areas to. Um, reach out and represent the compassion of Jesus Christ to the hurting people in their area and uh, God we pray this in the name of Jesus and we pray for the healing in people's minds uh, mental health soul pains to stop this kind of violence in our world and I pray this in Jesus name Amen Thank you very much I was talking to a friend lately about the Tour de France. And um, most Americans would know about the Tour de France because of how many victories Lance Armstrong got a few years ago. So we became aware of it, unless you were very involved in the sport. But anyway, he goes, do you know much about the Tour de France? And I went, yeah, I know a little. So he goes, did you know that this is a race that's a team sport but can only be won by individuals. I said, no. Because goes, yeah, you know, America doesn't win, one of the Americans could win, or French, the city, uh, country of France doesn't win. So uh, it's an individual. And so I was like, no, I didn't know that. And he goes, did you know that the jerseys, there are significant colors in the jerseys, and you can tell they change every day uh, And yellow, means uh, they're the overall leader of that day so when they're wearing it that jersey so that could change around the then uh, somebody who wears a polka dot jersey is king of the mountain so that's a person that reaches the highest point in the race first he gets to wear the polka dot jersey and the green jersey is a total points leader on, on that particular day so no I didn't know that either So then he said, "Uh, did you know that there are different positions on the team? There are pullers and there are sprinters. I was like, no. He goes, yeah, pullers are the ones who ride in front and they change places and they sort of keep the sprinters away from the impact of the wind going against them so that at the right time, then the sprinters can go. And that pullers, uh, 98% of the time, never win the race. It's the sprinters. So i like, no, I didn't know that. Did you know it was a 21-day event? And each day they raced from 80 to 140 miles that day. And so this year when it ended, they had raced 2,000 plus miles. And in kilometers, that's like 10 or 10,000. I don't know which one. But anyway, it's miles that I'm aware of. So that's a lot of miles. So then I had to stop him and go, you know what? When I said yes, I know a little bit about it. What I meant to say was what I know about it is it's a race where men ride really fast on bicycles somewhere in Europe, probably France, and that's about it. So no, I don't know much, obviously, from what you had to say. <laughs> so uh, I, I think about um, the question... Do you know much about the Christian faith? Do you know much about the Bible? And maybe we say, yeah, I know a little. And do we? Do, what is the journey of faith for a person who's a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I know if, if there was some similarity, faith is a long race. And um, it takes a team for each individual to thrive in their faith. Um, No individual does it alone. But um, I wanted to just talk to you a little bit today about something that I'm really passionate about, and that's the mission of our church here, Oasis Church. I'm passionate about it because I believe it captures the essence of the Christian faith. And maybe I will be pointing out the obvious to you, but our mission here is to reach people who don't have a personal faith in God or who feel disconnected from God, who don't have a personal faith in Jesus. So we're, we're trying to reach people from a different uh, life experience than we are. We're trying to reach people... Um, maybe outside of the community that we're enjoying and experiencing together. We're, we're trying to create a Sunday service that anyone could come in here and sit in and understand and follow what we're talking about. Do you know what I mean? Three people know what you mean. So I want to welcome all of the people who are uh, non-followers of Jesus today. You're welcome. And so um, we it's an effort to Help people experience the radical love, the radical, furious love of God for you and for me. To reach them and to not create, I mean, I think sometimes we unintentionally create this sense of there's us and there's them. But really, it's all us, it's us, it's humanity. And that's the amazing thing about Jesus. He was able to connect with people right where they were in the moment he was connecting with it and, and engage them to take a step further. And so that's why, I mean, sometimes I get, I get, I'm passionate about it. So I see things other people don't see or I care about things other people don't care about. And I just like, I don't like using that, the terminology that is so Christianized. We think everybody knows what we're talking about, but we're we might be answering questions that nobody's asking, or we might be describing something. They're like, well, it sounded spiritual, but I don't know what it means. And so, you know, I just try to keep us aware that we're talking to someone and not talking at someone. So having a non-churchy language. So I mean think about this. If you're in a Starbucks And uh, somebody said, I think the best drink there is a cappuccino. That if you don't say, amen, wow, can I get amen from every cappuccino is great. If if that's not what you would say there, then maybe that's not the vernacular you would use. Are you following me? And uh, I guess if you were in line and go, every time I'm in the midst of this line, (laughs) I get excited about my coffee that's coming up soon. Because the point is, I'm not trying to pick on people. I'm just saying, let's be aware. I think every one of us should pick out about five things that we say that probably unbelievers don't believe or don't understand and then strike it from our vocabulary. Because it's part of our mission is to reach people. And um, so it's just like if you went to uh, Honduras to start a church, You you don't try to come in there and make them Americans. You come in there, learn their culture, love them, speak their language, and introduce them to Jesus. So we're here, we're trying to reach people in LA, which uh, is unique because people from all over the world come here, so we get to reach the world without going anywhere. (laughs) But we're willing to go, we do that plenty. Um, so reaching people disconnected from God. And secondly is we're leading people somewhere. So it it doesn't mean that people who are close to God, we don't care about them. No, you're part of the community where we're reaching people and we're leading people somewhere. And that's what Jesus did. He didn't try to lead them somewhere first. He didn't try to, you know, you catch a fish before you clean it. You don't try to clean a fish before you catch it. And sometimes that's what we do. We, we talk about all the rules and go, you don't obey the rules, so God's not happy with you. Uh, excuse me. God knew none of us could keep the rules, and he's so happy with us that he sent Jesus to cover the rules for us. <laughs> so we're leading people now that we know what we know that we're going to move forward in our faith and and growing in our faith or what we might call discipleship teach training disciples includes a couple of important things and one is growing in the knowledge and personal faith in the word of god and in the holy spirit both are important so um it's growing in personal faith and experience of the Word of God. So it's not just memorizing the Bible or knowing how to quote out a scripture to somebody, uh, but it's about how it changes us, how it builds a relationship with us where we can f- sense God's presence with us. That he empowers us to grow as a disciple. It's, it's irreplaceable. You see, the Christian life following him is about transformation, and that's different than reformation. You are not who you used to be. That is a revelation that you get from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. You're not who you used to be. Sometimes we say, I can't help it. That's the way I was born. It's like, well, that's why we need to be born again. Transformation. I still believe Jesus changes people, transforms them completely. Also, the growth process includes eliminating, uh, uh or to deal with limiting attitudes, eliminate limiting attitudes. I think the strongest of human emotions, you can think of them, fear and greed, anxiety, pride, jealousy, but so is love. It's a powerful emotion. And there, a lot of us live with this, uh, other emotions ruling us because of the hurts we've been through, the dark times, the difficulties, the the things that have broken us. And the, the journey of a disciple is not to bury that deep down and act like you're happy. It's allow the Holy Spirit to bring healing so that you can grow and that fear doesn't hold on to you or anger doesn't grip you, but there is a faith and a love that changes you. And, and, and part of that is soul, heal, the healing of our soul, isn't it? And so um, pain has a way of knotting us up inside. And so sometimes we just stay stuck in our pain. And I don't know what the pain might be. It's probably common to all of us that you might be experiencing. Maybe you're here today more aware of pain in your life. And maybe there's been a, a death in In your family that you were devastated by the loss of someone. Maybe you've been through a pain of rejection or failure or things that just shape who you are and we have a tendency to get stuck there. And it's funny, sadness has a way of appearing like an uninvited guest into our day. And sadness has a really good friend named Anger and he is with them as well. You know, people often talk about being hurt by the church and that really saddens me. And if you're one of those people who would have experienced hurt in a church, then you're among friends, because most of us have. But I do like to challenge this thinking, to say, if we say, I was hurt by the church, While it's horrible, I don't think it's possible. I think it's like I think it means that you were hurt by a person, by a leader, by a critical human being that you met in in the church somewhere, or maybe a particular religious style of oppression and manipulation. Maybe there's a dishonest thing, but if we can identify it as individual things, then we're not. Against the church at large for our life, Saint Augustus said, "You cannot have God as your father without having the church as your mother, Because there's an intimate family dynamic there. You see, I don't go around and say I was hurt by the restaurant. I've had grumpy waiters. I've had waiters who didn't even give what I ordered. I've had them mix the bill up, get it wrong, charge too much, complain about the tip. I've had a maitre d' not get me a seat, you know, all those things. But I'm not – I don't eliminate restaurants from my life because I've been hurt by the restaurant. I identify the issue and – And hopefully I don't sit out on the table and go, okay, get this right, okay? I'm going to give you my order. (laughs) The last guy wasn't paying attention. Anyway. And the last dynamic about discipleship is discovering your purpose. Discovering God's purpose for your life and and to proceed forward. It's the greatest adventure you'll ever experience. And this is crucial to our growth. And, And let me just say something here. Seniors of Oasis Church... Uh, I want you to know, don't forget your place and purpose, because this church has 65% of us are um, in the uh, late 30s to 18. That's a lot of young people. And so you could even say, I'm too old for this group. There's no place for me. No, 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 no. That's why you are crucial you have something to contribute that the other 70% don't have the bandwidth for. They don't have the experience. So don't forget how crucial you are and recognize that if you'll love people and care about them and listen to them, they'll start looking to you. Young people want to know what you know so they can avoid what painful things that go on in your life. See, discovering purpose is not just about the destination or achievement. It's about what we learn and who we become along the way. And then it just brings us to leadership. We're all called to lead and influence. If you think about the essence of Christianity, it's to know Christ and to make him known. It's so powerful. So uh, I want to tell you a story that is in the New Testament and it's one of the di- dramatic stories that is, is uh, so significant to what we're talking about today. And so this story happens after Jesus was arrested. He was, um, went to court, beaten, treated wrongly, crucified. The 12 that they called the 12, the disciples, they disappeared. They were hiding for their life. Peter. Denied that he knew Jesus personally three times, aggressively and intensely, like Peter did most things, apparently. None of those 12, except John, even attended the crucifixion and supported Jesus and his family during that time. So then Jesus appeared to them in the upper room. He appeared to them twice, but he looked different. His body was different. He'd been to heaven and back. And, and so this story now takes place after all of that has happened. And so what happens is that Peter, hey, they're traumatized. They're confused. Their faith is in a fog. You know, they saw him, so they th- think he rose from the dead, kind of, but not sure what that means. Or, and so Peter lost sight of his purpose. And he goes... I'm going fishing. Let's go fishing. And so the others wanted to go with him. And so um, I wanted to, uh, what they didn't know is that they were about to experience the catch of a lifetime. All right? And so I'm going to read this to you. It's going to be up on the screen. The title of my message today is Go Fish. And uh, so this is John chapter 21. Here we go. We're going to read this from the New International Version. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. Uh, If you count, that's seven people. Seven people went to go fish. Seven of the 12. So... um, Er, uh, let's see. So they went out, got in the boat, and, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. So this is 4 a.m., it's dark. He's on the shore, they're out a distance in a boat, and he yells out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped in the water. I don't, that didn't really make sense to me. Usually, if you're going to jump in, you take a shirt off or your jacket off. Peter puts his jacket on, dives in. But it's Peter, you know. So he jumps in, and. Uh, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus had brought his own fish to prepare for them. And there's significance there. And um, so, where was I? Every time I look up and make a comment, I lose it. It's right there. There's some bread on it okay jesus said to them oh no he already said that jesus said <laughs> okay jesus said bring some fish you have caught so Simon and peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net to shore it was full of large fish 153 actually and even with so many the net was not torn jesus said to them come and have breakfast none of the disciples dared ask him who are you they knew it was the lord Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he raised from the dead. So this whole story is a story about something other than the story. Have you ever been in a conversation and you realize what we're talking about is not what we're talking about? There's something fishy going on. There's, there's a hidden agenda or there's a hidden message here. And, and so Jesus is walking them through all these things. And they're like, wait a minute, Jesus did that. He th- had us throw the net in the other side and, and, and there's so, so much more. But um, I wanted to present to you some ideas, some takeaways from this, because one thought is God's future plan for you includes greater provision. This is the second time Jesus did that miracle. And the first time, when he called them, he, he, they dropped the net in the water and they pulled it out. And there was so much fish that the net broke. And so they didn't bring anything with them. They just were amazed at the miracle. It was, the, it was this time that was significant. And God is not limited to the previous provisions he's made in our life, in your past. That's why often you say, the best is yet to come. We hear that all the time. And I think there's a scripture for that. I think Frank Sinatra said that. But, um, <laughs> but I think in the Bible, it's, it's pretty scriptural that greater is the latter than, than the former times with God, you see. And so, the second thought here is in this portion of scripture is sometimes we have to go without his blessing before we realize what we had. So... Peter and his friends, are fishermen, it was their trade. They did it for a lot longer than they did following Jesus, making fishers of men. That's what she called them to. And, but then they couldn't catch anything. They couldn't catch anything. Have you ever been in a situation where you, what used to work for you before doesn't work now? Sometimes we realize that without God's blessing, um, We just can't do what we did. Maybe we had his blessing once before and we've grown distant from him. We've disconnected with our faith and serving and being a part of the church community. And there's something missing in our life. Or maybe you've just pursued and achieved great things, but faith has never been an issue in your life. And while you've done all the great things that you thought made everybody happy, you're not happy. I thought success and money and cars and houses and all that would make me fulfilled and joyful, but I'm not. I feel like I need a little cocaine. That's not me. That's the person. (laughs) Follow my example here, all right? (laughs) So, you know, King Saul got what he wanted, but he lost what he had. And so here they are in this place of difficulty. You know, there's an interesting thing about the Japanese koi fish. It's a unique fish. If you keep them in a small bowl, they grow to about two inches. If you keep them in a small tank, they grow to about eight inches. If you put them in a pond, they grow to about 18 inches. If you put them in a lake, they grow up to 42 inches. They grow and thrive or are limited by their environment. Here's another point. Remember what God first clearly called you to do. Many Bible scholars believe this is the place at the Sea of Galilee where Jesus called them the first time. So it's no accident that he shows up at this location because this is the first place he went to and called them to be fishers of men. He calls you back. So many times when I felt like uh, frustrated or Struggling with my faith in some way, I am reminded by God, what have I called you to do? What is the goal? Well, okay, it's to reach people far from God. Okay, can you reach one more today? It's to lead people. So can you help somebody grow, take a step in their faith? I'm reminded to what we're called for. Some, and Here's a, a thing that's interesting is that some great leaders have to be recruited away from something else. You know, so he went after them. You know, sometimes we think anybody like to fo- follow, anybody like to volunteer, and uh, anybody like to become a leader. But Jesus went to people and he chose them to be leaders and gave them a vision for their life. Remember what God has called you to do. Failure and loss create a a lapse in a sense of purpose. Have you been through a failure in your faith, failure in relationship? Have you been through a loss with business or finance or friendships or somebody that you loved? Then keep going, it's not over. Remember what God has clearly called you to do. As Yogi Berra, the great Yankee catcher said, it ain't over till it's over. That's the way it is in following God. Let me show you something else. In Hebrew, every letter in Hebrew has a numerical value, and it matters to the Hebrew people. So every letter is assigned a numeric value, and so they use that to evaluate things. We don't use that in English. So every time we see a B, we don't think of 2, or every time we see a D, we think of 4. But... um, if you're a musician, every time you think of G, you think of eight probably. But, but anyway, in Hebrew, this matters. So listen to this 153 fish have the numerical value of what it says in Isaiah 43:3, I am the Lord your God. That is what Peter declared to Jesus when he said, Who do you say that I am? You are the Lord, you are the Messiah. There's significance in the number of fish that they caught. According to the biblical translator, St. Jerome, there were 153 species of fish at that time in the Sea of Galilee. To me, it makes me think Jesus is reminding them that we are going to be fishers of men and we're going to reach people from all nations, every ethnicity. And lastly in this point here is keep the... Keep God's vision and plan in your heart and in your mind. Keep the vision in your heart and mind, but God's vision and God's plan, keep it in your mind. See, if if we're on a, in a lake and our boat sinks, we're going to swim as far as we can so we don't drown, trying to avoid dying. But if you see the shore, your chances are much more high that you will Uh, survive because you can go somewhere. You can see where you're going. Keep God's vision and God's plan clear in your soul and don't give up. Keep going. What would cause us to follow at a distance? Have you missed an opportunity? Have you been overlooked? Have you been mistreated? Yeah, well, here we are, all of us, being in the same thing. And we have to keep going towards purpose. And so here's this moment. Not only did they catch 153 fish, which is much larger than normal. I love it that the net didn't break, saying that God will cause your fruit in the future to remain longer and longer the more you know him. So now let's pick up the story here in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. Let me just tell you, I picked the New King James for this part of the scripture because this is translated in different versions, son of John or son of Jonah. But it's significant that he uses the name Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep or my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This is a dynamic element to this because this is the moment where he is saying to Peter, yeah, you have failed. Yes, you denied me. Peter denied him three times. I wonder if isn't, that isn't the reason Jesus asked him three times the opportunity to reverse what he said, denying him three times. He asked him in different forms of the word love. It's translated love, but some one version of it is the first one is more like a friend and it escalates to the last one where it's love, the love of God so strong. And he's connecting him with now. Remember what you were called to do. You're supposed to be fishers of men. There's only two places in the New Testament that Jesus refers to Peter as Simon, son of Jonah. And... Rabbi Jason Sobel says that Jonah is a more accurate translation because of the context here. Because Peter did what Jonah did that came from his heritage, that he ran from God in a difficult time and that God had to go after him, just like Jesus went after Peter. He said, come on. Get back with the plan. I wonder if there's some of you here today that God isn't saying to you, come on, you've lost track. You've pulled away a bit. It's time to get back in the purpose of God. Get in the flow of what God's called you to do. Jesus still wanted Peter to fulfill his purpose. You know, we're teaching about knowing Christ and making him known. The crucifixion saved us the crucifixion covered our sins don't select certain sins of your past to say you're no longer worthy jesus knew all about those sins that's why he came and died to to pay the price for your sins. so it's time to put your faith back in the cross of jesus christ and move forward each of us is better than the worst thing we ever did Tell that to the person next to you. You're better than the worst thing you've ever done, (laughs) including this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. There's also a cost to following Jesus. It's important for us to recognize this and be real. It's unfair to say, follow Jesus and everything gets perfect, everything gets better. Give your life to Jesus Christ and you'll live happily ever after. Well, you'll live in eternity forever, and that'll be happily ever after. But on this earth, problems come, tragedy come. He was telling Peter, Peter, you're a strong man, you're a leader, you made the decisions of what you would do and where you would go, but there's a time coming that because of your commitment to me and making fishers of men, you're going to be taken captive. You're going to be forced to go places you didn't want to go. You're going to be controlled by others who don't like you. Are you still willing to go? And I think sometimes we, we learn that uh, it's in our darkest moments that we develop the ability to succeed over adversity. And this is what he wanted Peter to have. And I think we all need that. That was Jesus reminding him. And I often think that when I felt like God said to me, I want you to start a church, I want you to pastor a church, And that if he said to me, now people are going to get angry at you and they're going to criticize you and they're not, they're going to, a lot of people are going to say, I don't like how you preach or how you lead or whatever. Then I was like, you know, God, let me pray about this opportunity and I'll get back to you, which is a weird thing to say because it would be him and I already know what he wants. So, but it's a reality with great responsibility comes great tension and struggle In Mark chapter 5, we're told of how Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he was met with a man tortured by demons. He was yelling. He was in agony. He was bleeding because he would cut himself in pain. He came out of the tombs to where Jesus was, and Jesus set him free. And at the end of the story of Jesus' life on earth, Now he's the one who is calling out in pain. He is the one bleeding. He is the one that's heading to the tomb so that you can be free and that I can be free from the pain and the the oppression of the enemy, that we can be reunited with Jesus because of the price that he paid. I'm gonna close this message with a story that was a powerful one for me to hear and it's about a story of two professional athletes. One of the athletes is Rod Carew. Rod Carew was a uh, baseball player, Hall of Fame player. Now he played 18 seasons and was uh, always steady. He had a lifetime batting average of 328 which if you get 328 in one season, you're pretty impressive. He averaged that. He got the closest to 400 of any player. And um, when he was 71 years old, he had heart and kidney failure. He was living in Orange County, often went to Saddleback Church, The other athlete I want to tell you about is an athlete named Conrad Ruland. When he was 11 years old, he met Rod Carew. His mom took him somewhere. He met Rod Carew, got his autograph, and he said, I met my hero, mom. He said, I'm going to be a professional athlete. So, Conrad Ruland became an NFL player. Conrad died at the age of 27 from a brain aneurysm. Conrad had signed the donor card to give his, donor, his organs away, and it turns out that Rod Carew became the recipient of his heart and kidney. When Conrad's mother called and found out who received it, she reached out to Rod Carew, and she said, hey, I'm Mr. Carew, I think you have my son's heart. (laughs) And Rod said, would you like to come and hear your son's heartbeat again? And so she came to meet him and you can show the other photo. She got to feel his heartbeat and she got to hear his heart beating inside of Rod Carew. Would you like to hear the heartbeat of God? It's Jesus. If you listen to the heartbeat of our Father in heaven, you will get the heartbeat of Jesus because he loves us the way we are and the way we are not. He loves us with a radical, immeasurable, irrevocable love. He is crazy in love with us, and it's in that love that he wants to touch our lives to heal our lives, to take us somewhere, to do that work in our soul that only he could do. And so right now, I would like to pray with you and ask God to touch each of our hearts and each of our lives in a very personal way. So let's just make this a very reverent time and allow God to touch people in this place. And so, Father, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place, because without your presence, we would be lacking so much, but we open our soul to you, Holy Spirit. We open our mind and our heart, and we ask you to bring healing, free us from past traumas and disappointments and abuses, violations, losses, Help us to not grieve without hope, but to grieve with hope, seeing a freedom ahead, seeing healing ahead. Thank you, God, that you care so much about us. In the name of the Lord Jesus.